The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Well, hey, there is a a question that just about everyone everywhere is is asking, and it is a a question that almost nobody agrees on the the solution uh, for it. Uh, It's a question that we ask explicitly at times and implicitly at all other times. It's a question asked by the religious and the irreligious, so inside the church and outside of the church. It is a question that's asked by young and old, conservatives and and progressives, political and and apolitical. And and the question is, what's wrong with the world? Um, I want to put some images in your mind from, from the last year. And I know this is a dangerous thing to do, but we're going we're gonna to do I want to put some, some images in your mind from the last year, year and a half to kind of bring this question to the forefront of our minds. And so think about images of protests, uh, rioting, e- even in Lincoln, uh, signs that we have seen, maybe perhaps pertaining to the police, uh, the, the storming of the U.S. Capitol, Flags implementing a four-letter word acting as a verb, followed by the name of a former president or the sitting president, you know, just depending on which kind of flag you're into there. Um, think about social media posts that you've seen. Uh, th- think about the anger, the, the, the hatred, the, the division and dissension, severed relationships. Are we getting personal yet? <laughs> um, People leaving churches, denominational unrest, what some are calling the the fracturing of evangelicalism, even. In in all of it, sometimes explicitly, at all other times, implicitly, everyone everywhere is asking, man, what's wrong with the world? And it's not just the U.S. This is a global phenomenon, right? I think about some world news from the last week or so, the, the assassination of a Haitian president. Uh, the anti-government protests and demonstrations in communist Cuba over the economic crisis there. You know, we could just, we could just keep going and going. That's just right now, you know. This, this has been going on for it. What's wrong with the world? Well, it isn't a new question. In fact, it's a very old one. Um, in fact, it's a, it's a question that's been asked explicitly and implicitly all the way back even in Micah's day. And we're going to be looking at the Old Testament prophet Micah this morning um, again, this is, this is Minor Prophet 6 of 12, and so we're about halfway through, um, but be sure to have your Bibles open this morning to, to the Old Testament book of Micah. It begins on page 776 in, in those pew Bibles. Uh, now, Micah, listen, Micah ministered in a time of biblical history of unprecedented uh, political and military and economic and social upheaval. He's the only minor prophet whom we're told prophesied to both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Most of the minor prophets were just ministering and prophesying in one or the other, right? He got both. And Micah 1.1 tells us that he ministered in the days of King Jotham, King Ahaz, and King Hezekiah, three successive kings in Judah, the southern kingdom. Jotham, the Bible tells us, was was a decent king. It wasn't too bad, you know, and, 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 but the thing with, with Jotham was he didn't take down the high places. He didn't take down the, the idols, the, the places of, of worship to other gods. He didn't address the idolatry. Ahaz, his successor, was a horrible king. 
And, and he reigned for 16 years. And 2 Kings chapter 16 tells us that he was so corrupt, that he was so religiously wicked, that he burned his son, his own son, as an offering. He sacrificed and made offerings to, to foreign gods. The king of Judah did. He even recreated an Assyrian altar and brought it into the temple to replace the temple altar and offered sacrifices in the temple on the Assyrian altar. I mean, that's wicked. It's extremely wicked. Eventually, Ahaz dies. He's replaced by Hezekiah, who by and large is a good king. He introduced some reforms. Okay, but Micah ministered during all of this. To put it in years, probably sometime between the years 740 and 690 BC time, uh, in that time frame, on, on your timeline there. Which means he, he prophesies before, during, and after the Assyrian attack and the conquering of the northern kingdom of Israel. After Israel falls to the Assyrians, of course, he's prophesying, he's ministering in Judah. Again, it's a, a time of, of social upheaval, political upheaval, good kings, bad kings, the changing of guard at kings, national unrest, military uncertainty. It was a time where everyone, everywhere, was explicitly and implicitly asking the question, what is wrong with the world? And Micah has some answers to that question. In fact, the, the Old Testament book of, of Micah, in it, we get God's answer to that question. And listen, God's answer to that question, it really hasn't changed in 2,700 years. Um, which means that the book of Micah is, is, is extremely relevant to us today. Now, Micah itself can be tricky. If you tried to read it this week, it can be a little bit tricky to kind of sort out what, what's going on. Um, it goes back and forth, back and forth a little bit, right? Between judgment and hope, defeat and blessing, humiliation and, and salvation, devastation and restoration. You read it and you're like, you're kind of like this. You're like, I, what is going on here, right? And the reason for that, the reason it feels that way is at least partially because what we have in Micah likely isn't a, a single line of reasoning. Um, it's not a, a, a single rational line of, of thought and argument. Rather, it's a pulling together of multiple prophecies over multiple years and compiled together. A simple way to see some of the structure in Micah is to look at it in three sections, chapters 1 and 2, 3 through 5. And then six and seven. Each of those sections, if you go back and read it, they, 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 they contain judgment and hope, devastation and, and promised restoration. And what I want us to do this morning is kind of step back a little bit um, from, from Micah, like, like he would have done actually kind of when he compiled this, and, and ask, hey, what is going on? What is the overarching message here? Listen, the, the world is fracturing. <laughs> um, God's people are a hot mess. Uh, Israel is getting ransacked by the Assyrians. You thought I was talking about today. But, right, the, the, it's a little ways off, but, but not too far off for Micah to prophesy about. But Babylon is starting to set its sights on Judah. What's wrong with the world? Well, Micah tells us, look at Micah 1, verse 2. It says, Hear, you peoples, all of you. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. And let the, the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Notice who's addressed here. It's all people everywhere, isn't it? All people everywhere. That's important. Um, it's not just the leaders who are the problem. Like, like modern political debates would have us to believe. It's not just the leaders, though they are a problem, and we'll see that. It's not just those who are in power, those who possess authority, who are the problem. Like, 
like modern critical theory would, would have us to believe. It's not just those who have power and authority, though they are a problem here. And we'll see that in the text too. But Micah begins here by addressing everyone, everywhere. Do you see that? Hear, you peoples, all of you. Pay attention, oh earth, in case you were like, I don't think that was me. You know, all, everybody, everywhere. Let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. In other words, judgment is coming. And the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before him, like waters poured down a steep place. And why? Verse 5. All of this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? God is saying, look around you. (laughs) Look no further than your capital cities. Samaria, the capital of, uh, of, of the northern kingdom of Israel. Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdom uh, of Judah. Look around you, God says. It's everywhere. Verse 6, Therefore I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. And then verse 7, he gets very specific. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. What's wrong with the world? Well, first and foremost, God's answer is idolatry. Idolatry. There are carved images. There are idols, he says. You're worshiping something or someone else other than me. And this isn't something to take lightly. No, this is a, the wrath of God is coming because of it, right? Idolatry in the Bible is worshiping something or someone else other than God. In Micah's day, it was literal other gods, the so-called gods of the nations. And it's likened to adultery here. That's, what that, that's what's going on there with the, the talk of the prostitute. That, that, that's what idolatry is. It's spiritual adultery, spiritual unfaithfulness to our faithful, covenant-keeping God. And it has a primary position at the, at the root. When we ask the question, what's wrong with the world? You know, the, the 16th century um, reformer, Martin Luther, uh, he used to say that our fundamental problem is always idolatry. In relation to the Ten Commandments, this is commandment number one, isn't it? No other gods before me. And Luther would say that we never break the other commandments without first breaking the first. In other words, dishonoring your father and mother, murder, uh, adultery, stealing, bearing false witness, coveting. And, And listen, all the myriad of forms in which these things manifest out of our heart into our life and culture and society, they all begin with us not fearing, not loving, not trusting God as God above everything else. Each violation can be tracked back, Luther says, to breaking the first commandment, no other gods before me. Now, that's true in our world too. Um, When we look around our world today and we ask the question, what's what's the matter? This This is foundational to our answer as Christians. Foundational to the Christian answer to the question, what's wrong with the world, is idolatry. Exchanging the truth about God for a lie. 
It's allowing something else into the the functional center of our life. It's when something else or someone else, a a cause, a a political party, a a want, a desire, a security, approval, power, greed, control. It's when something else or someone else becomes more important to you than God. That's idolatry. When you begin to look to it for anything that you're to look to God for. Security, hope, deliverance, grace. That's idolatry. And it's not some minor little issue that, boy, aren't we glad we got the grace of Jesus to cover. No, the Bible says our idolatry evokes the wrath of God. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against it, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1. The Lord is coming out of his place and the, the mountains will melt under him, to use Micah's language. It's a big deal. It's a, it's a, it's a big, it was a big deal in Micah's day. Right? The, the people of God, in large part, had turned away from God. They were worshiping other gods. It's a big day in our deal. It's a big, day, big deal in our day, too. There it is. Um, if you're not a Christian, <laughs> first and foremost, the, the first and foremost thing that we want you to, to hear today is trust in Jesus. Trust in him. Ask God to to bring him to the, here's what we mean by that. Ask God to bring him into the center of your life. Everything else comes uh, surrounding that. But he's at the center. No real change happens until that happens. He's not an add-on. He's to be at the very center. Everything in your life is to revolve around him. Foundationally, friends, this is at the root of what's wrong with the world. We're living out of accord with the one who created it. We are worshiping the created rather than the creator. And it's not just a problem for non-Christians, in case you're like, yeah, those people, it's their their fault. Um, It's a problem for Christians too. Idolatry sneaks in like a bat in the attic. You know, it it can creep in through the, the tiniest of holes in our faith. And so, brothers and sisters, let's make sure that we are not presuming upon God's grace by ignoring idolatry in our lives. What's wrong with the world? First and foremost, idolatry. Second, the second reason we see in Micah is unfaithfulness, which is really a product of the first. Remember what Luther said? We we never break the the other commandments without first breaking the first. But but once we break the first, man, a a whole host of other madness follows. Turn to Micah chapter 2 in in your Bibles. Under, Under the heading of Woe to the oppressors in in my Bible. We we read in in Micah chapter 2, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hands. So here we have the powerful, all right, devising wickedness, dreaming it up. Like they are intentionally scheming evil. The powerful are. And they carry it out. How do they carry it out? Well, precisely because they can. They're powerful. Now, power in and of itself isn't a bad thing. Right? It's a natural construct and a biblical one. Power is. They're kings, godly ones in the scriptures. Think about King David. There's priests, prophets. I'm talking about priests in the Bible. There's priests, there's, there's prophets, apostles, pastors, parents. Governing officials, all who have God-given power and authority in the Bible. And we see this in our culture. We see it in in politics. But listen, power itself isn't bad. What we do with it, though, can be. 
And we see it, don't we? We, we? we see it in our culture. We've even seen it in the church with domineering or abusive leadership. We've even seen it in Christian homes with, with domineering or abusive husbands or fathers or wives and mothers. The point I want to make, though, is that power itself isn't bad. Right? The, the, biblically, it's, 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 it's a biblical thing. And so the, the solution has to be more complex right? than overthrow the government, defund the police, disband church leadership, and disassemble the nuclear family. Power itself isn't bad, according to the Bible. What we do with it can be. What did the powerful in Micah's day do with their power? Verse 2. They covet fields and seize them, and houses take them away. Breaking, do you see? The tenth commandment, not to covet. The eighth commandment, not to steal. They oppress a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. They use their power, not in godly ways. They use it to oppress others. And therefore, God sent Micah to warn them, to call it out, to call sin, sin, to, to call law-breaking, law-breaking, and to call them back to covenant faithfulness with him. Listen to what he says in, in verse 3, therefore, <laughs> therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, against this family I am devising disaster. God is not pleased with the sort of oppression that he sees in the leaders in Israel. I'm devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks, and you shall not walk haughtily, for it will be a time of disaster. Micah is pleading with them, turn from your evil ways. It's not going to end well. But how do they respond? Well, look at verse 6. They say, stop preaching to us. You see that in your Bible? Do not preach, thus they preach. So Micah's preaching to them, and they say, hey, stop preaching at us, Micah. But they themselves are actually preaching back to Micah. Do you see it? Don't, do not preach, thus they preach. One should not preach such things. Disgrace is not going to overtake us. Do you hear it? Should this be said, O house of Jacob, has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? These are the questions of the people here. They know just enough about God's character to be dangerous. They know, for example, that he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, but it's leading them to presume upon his grace, to live in covenant unfaithfulness. Jump down to verse 11. If a man should go about and utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be the preacher of this people. See, what the, pe what the people really wanted to hear, what they welcomed, what was, a, was preaching that emphasized indulgence. They don't want to hear about God's condemnation for their behavior. They want to hear about his grace and mercy, his slowness to anger, his love. And, and he is all those things. But he's also holy. And he will not be mocked. He has given us his commandments and instructed us how to live in the very same Bible that communicates us his, his love and his mercy. You can't have just a part. You've got to take the whole. What's wrong with the world? Unfaithfulness. 
It keeps going into, into chapter 3. Look at, look at chapter 3, uh, verse 1. And I said, Hear you heads of Jacob and you rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil. Now he's addressing the leaders. The civic leaders. The rulers. The, 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 the leaders who are supposed to be carrying out justice. And, and listen, in this case, not just retributive justice like we talked about in, in Obadiah but also primary justice, proactive justice, seeking the welfare of others. Instead, they hate good and love evil. They're propagating injustice. They're not looking out for the widow, the orphan, the unborn, the, the refugee. They're not seeking to be a blessing to the nations. They're not looking to anyone besides themselves. They detest justice, verse 9 says. The leaders do. They detest it. Beginning in verse 5, Micah then takes aim at the false prophets. Look at chapter 3, verse 5. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing in their mouths. And in other words, these prophets were for hire prophets. They were working for profit. You see it? Pay them, feed them, and they'd tell you what you wanted to hear. They're in it for the money, getting rich off the people of God while uttering false witness, leading them further into destruction, leading the people astray. And it's easy for us to like, look at some low-hanging fruit like prosperity gospel stuff and, and, and point to that as, a, as an aspect of that in our day. But there's also, there's also churches who've gone soft on sin who preach a similar message, preach peace, peace when there isn't any peace. Look at God's people. Those with power and authority are abusing it, oppressing others. Those who are supposed to be carrying out justice are not. They're, they're walking in unfaithfulness. And those who are supposed to be calling God's people back from all that to, to covenant faithfulness, they aren't. Or as Micah summarizes in chapter 3, verse 11, its heads give judgment for a bribe, its priests teach for a price, its prophets practice divination for money, and yet they lean on the Lord and say, isn't isn't God for us? Isn't he our God? Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster is going to come upon us. Listen, there is a clear and present warning here, friends, for anyone who calls themselves a Christian, whether a, a political leader or a church leader, whether a pastor or a parent or any of us in all of us. Therefore, because of you, verse 12 says, there is a clear and present warning. God will not bless your disobedience. He won't. He will not allow you to forever presume upon his grace. We cannot ignore his law or his created order. We cannot ignore his covenant. We're not free to sin that grace may abound by no means. Like Micah, even though it's unpopular, even, even if there are so-called Christians out there spewing a different, contradictory message like the false prophets of his day, we must call sin, sin. And we must call each other back from unfaithfulness. What's wrong with the world? God's answer? Idolatry and unfaithfulness. But now, what's the, what's the solution? I mean, that's the problem. You know, how do we make it right? Well, Micah tells us, actually. Turn over to Micah chapter 6. And Micah 6 is like this courtroom scene 
Um, God's been building this case, setting forth their idolatry and unfaithfulness. And in chapter 6 comes this indictment against his people. From God to his people. Chapter 6, verse 1. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord. And you enduring foundations of the earth, for the Lord has an indictment against his people. And he will contend with Israel. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember what Balaam, the king of Moab, devised and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him and what happened at Shittim to Gilgal that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. God is saying right here, I have been faithful to you. I've been faithful. I've kept my covenant. I brought you out of Egypt. I redeemed you. I, I gave you leaders. I gave you the law. I blessed you. And then he says, remember Shittim? And we probably don't remember Shittim, but we should remember Shittim. And if we're really honest with ourselves, it's kind of fun to say Shittim. But, but it was in Shittim, before God's people crossed over the Jordan, right? Before Moses died, it was there in Shittim. In Numbers 25, it records horrible, horrible unfaithfulness on the part of the people of God at Shittim. It says there that they, it was there that they... They hoard with, that's God's words, not, not, not mine. They hoard with the daughters of Moab, sacrificed to their gods, bowed down to them, yoking themselves with Baal. Go read it in Numbers 25 this afternoon. They, they, they literally were breaking covenant in the most blatant and horrible of ways. But look at this, God says, God doesn't just say, remember Shittim. Um, he also says, remember Gilgal? And we probably don't remember Gilgal either, right? But, but Gilgal was the place on the other side of the Jordan where, the, where God renewed the covenant with his people. After Shittim, he comes to them again. They renew the covenant as they pass into the promised land. In other words, God is saying here in Micah 6, remember your covenant unfaithfulness. Remember my covenant faithfulness. Even when we are faithless, friends. He remains faithful, doesn't he? And when God's people hear that, you know, when we hear that, our nature is to sort of ask, like, okay, God just pointed out all the stuff that's wrong with me, and he's so good. I'm unfaithful. He's faithful. What do, what do I got to do? What, just tell me what to do. What do I need to do to make it right? You know, just, just tell me. What do you want from me? Look at, look at verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? This is our natural response, isn't it? Like, like just tell me what you need from me, God. Like, what kind of religious gymnastics do I need to do to, to, to please you? What should I bring? What do you want from me? Well, a bunch of prayer work? You know, I need to give money to the church and up my offering. What, what do I need to sacrifice? Just tell me. How much? Just tell me. Name the price, Lord. And Micah responds in verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindness and to walk humbly 
with your God. Now, this is probably the most famous verse in the entire book of Micah. Right? If you know one verse in Micah, it's probably this one. Let's, let's look at it. First, he says, do justice. Uh, your translation might say, act justly. And notice here, he, he doesn't say, talk a bunch about justice. He doesn't say that, does he? He, he doesn't say, um, post to social media about justice. Micah doesn't say point out how others aren't doing justice as if pointing out injustice is what it means to do justice. No, he's saying do this with those around you. It's, it's tried but true that justice begins with just us. Tried but true. I'm full of them this morning. Act justly within your home. On your street, within your church, within your school, with others who are in your proximity, knowing that our various spheres of proximity differ in size and reach. Some overlap, some don't. Some of us have different giftings. We therefore have different opportunities to do justice. It's not all the same, but right where you are, everyone, do justice. Most of the time, this is going to go down in the untheatrical regularity of the uneventful, okay? Um, God's not looking for Instagrammable moments by a few social media influencers. That's not what he's, you know, he's not like, please, let's hit three million hits on this one. That's, that's not it. He desires an army of faithful Christians doing justice right where they are, right where you are. Do justice. And in case you haven't already thought about it, it is extremely important for us to understand what the Bible means when it uses the word justice. Uh, justice is a hot word in our culture. There's a lot of competing visions for what exactly that means. Biblically, though, doing justice means living in our spheres of influence, our stations in life, in a manner consistent with God's moral law. The Ten Commandments. And all the outpourings of that. Remember how Jesus talks about the Ten Commandments in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, it's not just your eyes, it's your heart that's going on here. All the manifestations of that. See, we, we have to define justice biblically. Biblical justice does not, will not, it'll never endorse sin. And so any definition of justice that endorses sin is not biblical. But we also need an objective source of what it means to be just. An objective source. Like, otherwise, we'll just create our, our, our own ideas of justice on our own. Which is why there's so many competing visions of justice in our world. As Christians, we have that objective source. It's, it's called the Bible. sitting in your lap right now. And we're to live in accordance with it. Biblical justice means making right decisions in accordance with God's commands. Living in biblical justice means, means leave, living in obedience to his commands, especially in our relation to others. If we occupy a place of authority, it means living in accordance with God's commands from that place of authority, using power in accordance with God's will and way. This, by the way, is why we need to have Christians involved in all kinds of aspects of society and law and politics, even. Not to set up a Christian utopia. But to labor for good, to labor for the good, the way the Bible defines good. And God calls each of us into that differently. My involvement won't look like your involvement, which won't look like her involvement. You know, it's, it's going to be different. But wherever you are, wherever God has you, 
You're to do justice. Act justly. You're also to love kindness. If we look at the rest of verse 8, the Hebrew word there for kindness is hesed. It can also be translated faithfulness, as it often is in the scriptures, to refer to God's covenantal hesed. His covenant faithfulness to his people. We're to, we're to love covenantal faithfulness, friends. Not just God's side of that. Oh, we love God's side of that. We love that God is always faithful to his covenant. Don't, oh, thank you. We're also to love our side of that. We're to love walking in covenantal faithfulness to him. Keeping the covenant, keeping the law, walking in obedience to all of his commandments. And to do so humbly. That's the last part. To walk humbly with your Lord. And that means what we typically think it means. Like, walk humbly. Like, don't be a prideful, arrogant weirdo. Like, walk humbly, you know. The, but, but also, the idea isn't so much walk uh, just humbly like we think of that. But it's also obediently before your God. Friends, this is what the Lord requires. And a good New Testament gospel-centered Christian probably asks at this point, wait, 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 wait a minute. That sounds like works. That, I've heard that before. That sounds like, that sounds, and it is, there are works involved in living the Christian life. You know, there are things that we are to do and things we are to not do. It is not a free-for-all. Um, and what Micah is saying here is that the test for loving God is how you treat your neighbor. Micah 6.8 has been described before as a summary of the second table of the law. And, and so one of the ways the Ten Commandments is sometimes described as two tables, right? Uh, with the first table describing our relationship to God, and, and the second table uh, describing our relationship with, with others. So with God and with, with others, right? Jesus himself sums up the two tables how? Love God, love people. That's, we know that. Uh, there's two things. Those two things are never separated. They're, they're never separated in, in, in the scriptures, um, and they're not separated here. Micah is saying, if you really love the Lord, show it. You know, show that you love me by loving your neighbor. It, it's going to come out that way. If you love God, it's, that's going to that's be happening in your life. This is the natural progression of the Christian life. Faith without works is dead, James says. There ought to be fruit-bearing, spiritual growth that leads to real change in our lives. And so Micah says, do justice, love kindness, Walk humbly with your God. And it is perfectly true that we cannot be saved by doing this. You know, we cannot do it by our own strength. None of us do it perfectly. Nevertheless, these are imperatives. Absolute commands of our holy God. And, and when we hear this, I, I don't know if you hear this the way that I want you to hear it, but when we hear this, it ought to sit on us. You know, like a 200-pound elephant. You know, it ought to just like sit on, on our chest. You and I are supposed to experience some weight right here. I don't know if you feel that or not, but we should. And at this point, see, in Micah, as readers, we should be asking ourselves, what's my response? How am I responding to this right now? You know, what is your response? What is your response to everything you've heard so far this morning? Is it? That's exactly right. You know who really needs to hear this sermon, though? Huh? Or is, is it, yes, I intellectually agree with what you're saying. Thank you for preaching the Bible, Pastor Todd. The, the problem with the world is idolatry. The problem with the world is unfaithfulness. The solution is to trust God and follow in his ways. This is really what we need all those people out there to start doing. Hmm? Friends, if that's your response, you're still missing it. 
There's a story told from the early 1900s that involved G.K. Chesterton, a great British Christian philosopher. Like so many great stories of old, we're not actually sure if this one's true, but we're going to pretend like it is this morning because it's that good. And the story goes that the, the Times of London posed a question to several prominent authors asking the question that we asked this morning, what's wrong with the world? And um, Chesterton, so the story goes, responded with a one-sentence essay published in the Times saying, Dear Sir, I am. Period. You know, four-word essay in the Times. Turn to Micah chapter 7 with me in your Bibles. I want you to see Micah responds similarly. Here's Micah's response to this weight sitting on his chest, like the weight that should be sitting on yours and mine right now. Chapter 7, verse 1. Woe is me. Me. He doesn't say, woe to the world. Woe to you. Israelites. He doesn't say woe to the, the, the Democrats or the Republicans or woe to the Libertarians. I don't even know if anybody says that. It doesn't really matter, does it? But look, he doesn't even say woe to the leaders and the false prophets and, and those abusing their power and authority. No, he says, woe is me. Me. Remember where we began in Micah 1? Hear you peoples, all of you. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and, and let the Lord God be a witness against you. Micah here, as he prophesies and reflects upon what's wrong with the world, he responds, Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit had been gathered, and when the grapes had been gathered, there is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind." Friends, this is Micah's Old Testament prophetic way of saying, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and I am the chief of sinners. He includes himself in the all of, verse, of chapter 1, verse 1. Woe is me. See, this is so important, right? Because we would read Micah and looking look like condemning the false prophets. Even though at least I got Micah. And Micah says, no, listen, not, don't look to Micah. Micah's not going to deliver you. Micah's not going to be the solution to this problem. It's way deeper than that. Way deeper. See, as long as the solution to the world's problems are out there, man, they'll never be in here. As long as we respond to the problems with everyone else, the solution is never going to go deep enough. Isn't this what we see in our world? What's wrong with our, with our world? The culture says... Your political stuff, that's what's wrong with the world. The, 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 the culture says systems, structures, that's what's wrong with the world. The, the world says people who aren't like me, <laughs> that's what's wrong with, with the world. And you can find news stations and books and social media influencers to back you on that, to join with you and say woe to the world. But only Christianity comes along and uniquely says, what's wrong with the world? Dear sir, I am. I am. Woe is me. Well, look what else Christianity says, though. It doesn't leave us there, praise the Lord. It doesn't say I am in a way that leaves us wallowing in our sin, wallowing, drowning in our guilt and destruction, you know, that, that, that we're just going to hang out and wallow while the world burns and, you know, everything comes down doomsday style. Look, look at the rest of Micah's response beginning in verse 7. Chapter 7, verse 7. It says, but as for me, 
I will look to the Lord. <laughs> so, so we are to see our sin, we are to see areas of injustice in our own actions. Ways that we treat people that are out of step with the word of God. Go read Romans 12 sometime, right? Slandering, taking advantage of, not loving others, including especially our brothers and sisters in the church. But not just them, everyone. Ways that we're impatient. These are small forms of injustice. Ways that we curse others. Ways that we fail to weep with those who weep. Ways that we're prideful or prejudiced. Ways that we repay evil with evil and fail to do everything possible to live peaceably with all. Ways we fail to honor our parents. Ways that, that anger rules in our heart like murder. Coveting and jealousy and greed come out in large and small ways. We're to see all that in ourselves. And, and how it is manifested out of us, into the world around us. But we don't stop our gaze there. We look to the Lord. And we wait upon him. Even when the world is on fire, we can come humbly before him, confess the part that we have played, confess our sin and wait upon him, knowing that he hears us. Verse 7 again, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Do you believe that today? That your God will hear you? Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. And I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Notice in your Bibles, there's not a period after that. It's a comma. You see that? I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until. Until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me and he will bring me out to the light and I shall look upon his vindication. Friends, this is what Jesus has done for us. He has pleaded our cause. Like judgment for our sins has been executed on him or to put it more plainly, he has been executed for our sin in our place as our substitute, taking on everything that we deserve. And in so doing, he brings us into the light, and we look not upon ourselves for vindication, but upon him, and we say, glory to Jesus. Glory to him. What's wrong with the world? Idolatry and unfaithfulness. What's the solution? Loving God and loving people. What's our response? We can't perfectly do that, which means we're a part of the problem. Who will save us from ourselves? Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate solution to everything that is wrong with the world. If you don't believe that, we need to talk about you being a Christian. He's the only solution that goes deep enough into the hearts of people to actually bring about the change that the world really needs. The kind of change that changes how we interact with others in keeping with how he created us to bring about peace. That's what we all long for, isn't it? Peace. Shalom, everything in its right place, doing what it was meant to do in the way that God intended it to be. We, we look around the world and we see all the problems and we long for peace. We long for political peace. Go back to all those images from earlier. We long for political peace, social peace, economic peace, racial peace, spiritual peace. 
with God ruling and reigning high and, 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 and sovereign over everyone, everywhere, and yet near and gentle and lowly, our great shepherd king. That's what we long for. Well, Micah actually pointed ahead to that piece too. The kind that only Jesus can bring. And in chapter 5, maybe you turn there, maybe not. I'm just going to read this over. It's not going to be on the screen. But in Micah chapter 5, Micah prophesies about this coming one. And, and it's as often is the case in the Old Testament about Messianic prophecies. There's both a near and a, and a future fulfillment. Meaning in some ways this has been fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus. And in other ways, it won't be fully fulfilled until he comes again. But make no mistake, it will be fully and finally fulfilled one day. Listen to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days, Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now, he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. And friends, this, this kind of peace was never intended to be just for you. That your own personal salvation, to use the old Depeche Mode lyric, your own personal Jesus, people from the 90s, it, it's always been intended to go out to the ends of the earth. There's nobody here from the 90s. It's, it's always been intended to go out to the nations, to go out to the, to the world. Listen to Micah chapter 4. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. You and I are a product of the near-term fulfillment of that. That's why we're here. The word of the Lord has gone out to the nations. And yet there's a future, final, fuller fulfillment that is yet to come. Many nations are going to flow and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares taking their weapons of war and turning them into instruments of cultivating fields. Their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. God gets the last word. For all the peoples walk each in his in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. What's wrong with the world, friends? It needs Jesus. And he's been at work from the beginning using broken, flawed, sinful, covenant, unfaithful, messed up people like you and me to make himself known to the ends of the earth. We're part of the problem. 
And yet in Christ, we're a part of the solution. As the redeemed of the Lord, we are to walk in his ways. We are to walk in holiness, in covenant faithfulness. We are to do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with our God, and in so doing, be a blessing to others. Witnessing not just with our words, but our actions too, of the goodness of God. Church, you and I are a part of those who are called to share this gospel far and wide. The good news that Jesus is the answer to the world's problems. And at this point, there's just one more question for us to ask. (laughs) Why would he do it this way? Or as Micah phrases it in chapter 7, verse 18, from a posture, I believe, of reverent awe, who is a God like you? That's what Micah's name means, by the way. Who is like God? Friends, when we truly grasp the breadth and the width and the height and the depth of the redemptive plan of God that is so well communicated to us through the book of Micah, our hand should go over our mouth and we should say, as he says to close the book, chapter 7, verse 18, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all of our sins in the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Who is like our God, church? No one. Let's pray. Father, there is none like you. And we praise you this morning for your grand plan of redemption. We praise you for your answer to the question, what's wrong with the world? We praise you for, for your answer, Jesus, the solution. And so now, holy God, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Grant us everything that we need by the power of your spirit to walk day by day, moment by moment, in covenant faithfulness with him. And it's in his powerful, authoritative, shepherd king name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.